Hello, and welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop Podcast, your one stop for co-op news and reviews. This week, Jason Perez is here to entertain you with some more shelf stories. Yo, my peoples, what's up? Welcome to Shelf Stories, the channel that tells tales from games, books, and life. I am your host, Jason. Thank you so much for stopping by for this latest episode of Book Chat. What? Book Chat? I got some gaming friends over here. We're going to chat about uh, some books or one book in particular. Wait a minute. Hold on. There it is. Look at that. I got it right on my shelf. Uh, it is the book we're chatting about or the game we're chatting about. And then the book that inspired it is called Red Rising. So it is a young adult sci-fi uh, fantasy book released around 2014 by Pierce Brown. It is a series, an ongoing series. Uh, and um, the gentleman uh, at the bottom of the screen made a game out of it. A matter of fact, has been at this a while in terms of having to realize uh, the setting of Red Rising. Uh, we're going to talk about the game, and, but we're going to focus mostly on how the game realizes what's in the books and then talk about the books themselves because we want to get people excited about reading but hold on a second that's a long intro i gotta introduce my guest first first uh it is the ceo and founder of so stonemeyer games publisher of many games including red rising he is jamie stegmeyer welcome back to the show hey thank you so much for having me back yeah i'm excited to talk about uh red rising books games yeah thanks yeah it can happen. And to my right, uh, she is the person who does Beyond, Beyond Solitaire YouTube channel, as well as Beyond Solitaire books. We shocked Jamie Stegmeier. Uh, had no idea that a book channel, BookTube, was attached to the website. So I'm very proud to spread the word about that. This is my bestie in gaming, Liz Davidson. Welcome to the show. I always like to be on your show, so I'm happy to be here. <laughs> Fantastic. All right. So, uh, yeah, so we the, the agenda today is very simple. And it's actually Red Rising Week here on Shell Stories slash the One-Stop Co-op Shop, because uh, we're also on the One-Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Uh, so we are going to do a review. I'm going to have Mark Dainty on. We're going to talk about the game itself. We really break down. We took about an hour to talk about you know the, the game and everything. This is supplemental, you know, kind of filling in some gaps. And I uh, was happy to reach out to Jamie so he can fill in some gaps for us. Uh, so we're going to just jump right into it in terms of Red Rising, the game. And Liz, I think you, the way you articulated the question uh, before we were on the call was like really, it cut right to it. So I'll let you go ahead and uh, ask Jamie a question. Okay. So for people who don't know about the Red Rising series, this is, Jamie, it's your favorite series. So let me know if you have a correction. But um, basically the world has been stratified by color and there's a lot of genetic engineering that actually, you know, changes people physically so there's a range so the lowest strata would be red and these are people who actually have like red hair and they do mining in the bowels of mars and throughout the solar system and then the top of the line you have gold and these golden people with incredible physical abilities rule over everybody else with an iron gold a golden fist, fist. Um, <laughs> but um but basically this is a game this is a a book series that's about rebellion and about changing society and about fighting against like the man and you know adjusting the way the hierarchy works but the red rising game is very much about hand management and point accumulation so i guess my question is how did we go from this book series to this game yeah yeah uh, i i love the question and and uh i guess a little backstory about how this game came to be is that i, I love this book series like you said um and one of the reasons that i really love the series is that the characters in the series in this in this dystopian world this dystopian future um 
I, they're, they're in this weird societal structure and they're often faced with these really tough decisions about who they want to uh, ally with um, as some of them are trying to break the chains of, of this caste system and kind of uh, expand their, their network, expand their group, expand their families, their friends beyond just the reds. Like there are reds that want to, that they're trying to decide if they can trust purples or golds or, or people that are higher up on this, on this societal structure. Um, so I love the decisions that characters have to make about that and just tough char decisions characters have to make about their, fr their friends, the people that they hold close to them, the people that they choose to betray. And so during the design process for the game, I, uh, the first few iterations of the game that I tried to design used a lot of meeples and bag building and worker placement where all the meeples were different colors, the 14 different colors in the game. And you're kind of like looking down on this board, typical worker placement, moving workers around or, or bag building. I tried both of those and it felt that the player position that I put myself in and put play testers in felt so separate from what these characters were doing because the books are so character driven. Um, and so I, I eventually gave up on the game. I, I was like, I can't figure this out. I can't figure out th this experience that I feel that I feel when I read the books. I, I'm not capturing this in these in this game that sh showcases a lot more about the world, but it didn't showcase how I feel when I read the books, how I think the characters feel in the books. And so finally, that brings us around to what you eventually said. The game itself is essentially a Euro game where you're you're making you're accumulating points in the game, but. Uh, the key decision points on the game are which cards, which characters do you want to keep in your group, in your hand, and which characters do you want to banish or betray or get rid of? Uh, who, who do you include in your inner circle and who do you who do you not, who do you get rid of? And it's those interesting choices in the game that I finally felt represented the choices that the characters actually had in the books. Mm -hmm. So then... Um... Because I imagine, like the the usual go to for a game like this, right, or for an adventure game, is is an adventure game. You know, like right. you know, uh, you, know you, you have you're basically uh, a character drafted as a character into the world, and then kind of going places and doing things. Like when you said meeples and stuff, my brain immediately went to like, okay, minis, and then movement. Mm -hmm. Then you know that. So you so you never went in that direction. You always wanted to go in like you know, a euro e direction. Is that fair to say? Well, and part of the reason for that is that a. A big reason that I wanted to make this game was to invite people into the books, invite gamers into the books who hadn't heard of it. And so I did not want to make a plot driven game that would just spoil the books for someone. And so um, I needed to separate the story and the plot a little bit from, or I felt that I needed to, I probably could have done that. Um, but I felt that I, I, I wanted to separate those two so that uh, you could play the game and not spoil the books and, and get into the books through the game. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So then, uh, so I don't want to go too far down this direction, but I feel like it is a thing because I, because I know like Jamie is very open with his reviewers, you know, and, um, you know, talking about who gets the games and how he talks about them. And Jamie's very clear, doesn't watch a lot of reviews. Right. But uh, so reviews of our games, I watch a lot of reviews, but not of the story right, of, of, <laughs> of uh, yeah, of Stonemaier games. So then, you know, looking around the verse and this is something that uh, Mark will have talked about the, in the previous episode um, that Red Rising, at least as presently constructed, the hand management inspired by Fantasy Realms game doesn't feel that thematic. In the sense that, like, you know, the the characters, especially if you don't know the books, like if you don't know the books, then it's like, okay, why does serve several go to this? And it's, it's just gold and it's just blue, and it's just this. And like it could have been uh it could have been a Harry Potter game with like the houses, and it could have been a it could have been different games. Um, how do you respond to a criticism like, like like that where it's like, okay, this deck of 112 cards can kind of feel like it's disappearing and I'm just like color matching? Is that something that you've heard? And how do you respond to that? Well, 
I guess I have a question to throw back at you there because I mean the game really was designed from the ground up based on Red Rising. Sure. It wasn't a game where we just designed a generic game and you could have slapped any theme on it. So I don't know. Do you really think it could that the the Red Rising the way it turned out? Do you think it could be applied to any work of fiction? Um, you want me to throw it to you, Liz, first, or do you want me to take that? Ooh, oh, yeah, I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about it because like the game. I mean, I saw a lot of Red Rising in the game. You know, and during my, I haven't played it enough to review it, but I've played it enough to talk about it, if that makes sense. I'm at like yeah. five or six plays. Um, so um, I, I, you know, the Helium Collection, getting influence at the Institute, um, you know, the fleet actually was really interesting because a lot of those elements I actually thought could have been their own games. Um, you know, like thinking about like the fleet fighting was a big part of the series. Um, the Institute, I was, I almost expected it to be sort of like a Hunger Games style area control thing coming out of boxes. I'd actually know what to expect when I got the Red Rising game in the mail. <laughs> I just wanted to be surprised. But, ooh, I think that you could do something that's kind of like it but not something that's quite it because that many colors the if you know the characters the way that they synergize does make a lot more sense i think it's one of those games that you like more if you've actually read the entire book series and you know who everybody is and why so like if you have a jackal card it doesn't necessarily go great with like a darrow card or anybody that would have been mm -hmm. darrow's friends in the book so like you know um i think that i think you could adapt it to another fictional world like maybe something where you're trying to create a bunch of allies against Voldemort maybe but um you would have to make a lot of adjustments because a lot of choices in the game really do come from understanding the Red Rising world mm -hmm. or from understanding how points work so it's like if these two go together then put them together if they don't go together then don't then don't put them together that's true but I knew who to look for because I'd read the books Okay, so is it so it helped you kind of like yes. re really sink into the in terms of that immersion or whatever yeah. it is that you're, you're looking for in a thematic game? Yeah, like you know, if Ragnar comes up, I'm like, oh, I know who works good with Ragnar. Let me find you know, or like um, you know, if it's somebody on from a different faction, like like in terms of teams, not colors. It's like okay, like I know these people were friends, so maybe this other person's in here. Actually, I thought one thing that was interesting is that because there are so few named characters from certain color classes, I think that was where thematically like there was the some struggle. And stuff, yeah, because there aren't very many named brown characters. Like, there's some pinks, there's some purples, there's some reds, but like some of the colors, even within Pierce Brown's own universe, get like kind of pushed to the back. Yeah. It's very much like a red mm -hmm. gold thing with like a smattering of other people. Yeah, how and you, so yeah. I actually thought that must have been really challenging. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm curious about that because uh, um, <laughs> it's so character driven, and yet this game has you know like reds and it's reds and golds, and there's a couple of smatterings of other pe other folks. Um, you know, then you, then you have this full deck of like you know a bunch of pilots that we don't know and a bunch of uh, greens. I think they're the newspaper or the periodicals that we don't know. So how did you uh, approach that? Because that definitely tends to seems to move away from that character driven paradigm. Yeah, yeah, we had to kind of balance the two because you're right, there, there are some characters that are named in the books and others, uh, you mentioned the greens. There, I think there's maybe one named green in the book, maybe two. And so for like the greens and, and colors like that, we approached it from what, what is a what is something special that we want to do within this color of card and, and different variances on that, on this one thing. Um, like purples, purples were, were a lot of fun to design because they want weird combinations, or we gave them the, the ability to have weird combinations of cards, like cards with all the all the same letter in the word, or, or they want all odd odd valued cards, things like that. Um, uh, because we, you know, we saw them as more creative as the, and, and uh, artists. 
but yeah, we had to balance that with the name characters. And that's where a lot of the, really the, the, the theme first design for the game came in. You used the example the Jackal is, and I like that example where the Jackal, like we didn't design a card and then we're like, okay, let's slap the Jackal on this card. We were like, okay, what do, who does the Jackal want to hang out with? Um, what, are, what types of things does, this jackal, does the Jackal want to do? Um, and we, we applied the, the mechanisms based on that, uh, that theme for the, the Jackal. Mm -hmm. And like you said, it does help if you know what the Jackal is all about. But I'm hoping with some of the cards that they inspire curiosity, that you play it and you're like, oh, that's a weird right. thing for this character to do. What happens in the book to make this character do that? Mm -hmm. Evie, Evie, the pink card Evie is one yes. of those. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, actually, I was thinking about talking about her too, because like Mickey versus Darrow, like who you're going to match her with, is, that can go really wrong <laughs> for, right. for reasons right. that are very clear from the novels. <laughs> right. So, okay. Uh, so this is what I'll, um, I'll give you a, a quick summary of my thoughts. So I think that I, I can see where people are coming from, where it doesn't feel thematic, but I think that people define thematic different, right? So then I am not a character in this game. Like I am not Daryl. I am not, uh, you know, uh, you know, Paxal Talamakis. I'm not these, I'm not, I'm like, what am I in this thing? I'm like, I'm basically the reader. Like I figure like, you know, a, a, um, a parallel would be like a game like Marvel Legendary where I'm not any, I'm not Wolverine. I'm not, you know, Spider-Man. I'm just like watching all everything coalesce. And there's like that kind of separation there that, and I can see where people kind of exist in that separation and say, okay, I'm not immersed in this game. Therefore it's not a thematic game, right? Cause I'm not, where am I, you know, where am I located? And then, so that's one way to define thematic and that's totally fine. Right. But then there's a, I think you can widen that out where, and this is where I came down to like, so at the very first book, and I've only read the first book, um, you know, we'll talk about like why in, the, in a second, but like in terms of at the near the beginning of the first book, when Daryl is and Daryl, the main character, the, the point of view character for the f entire first book, um, realizes where he is because he doesn't for a little while, and then he realizes where he is. And you know, they and the whoever he's with, and I'm be keeping it spoiler free, uh, kind of shows him the world, right? Whoa, there's the gold, there's the blue. I've heard about these people, but oh my goodness, there it is. And for me, that like one snapshot is what this game offers me, right? So like, if I'm not in the world and I don't know if the game was successful of putting me, of putting me like immersing me in the world, at least the game did a good job of evoking the world, if, if, that, if that makes sense. Yeah, I like the, the term of the, the use of the term evoking um, and both in terms of the world. And I'll come back to what I, what, what I the, the goal of design was to make you feel those tough decisions, which in any game, you know, we have tough decisions. That's kind of a generic thing to say, but in Red Rising, the characters make these excruciating decisions at times that like, those are the most memorable moments in the books for, with me. When a character makes a decision that is painful for them, painful for others. And I wanted players to kind of feel that. Like Jason, I know you love the, the, the game Pandemic and I think Pandemic makes you feel like nervous. You, you feel that tension and that's, it's like a feeling that the game is trying to get you to capture. I think Matt designed that in, on purpose. Mm -hmm. He wants you to feel that. Um, you may not feel like the pain of Spain when there was an outbreak in Spain. You don't, you don't connect with the Spanish when that happens, but you yourself feel something when an outbreak has happened. You, you feel nervous about it. And so I was trying to capture that same thing in terms of, you know, you have this nice hand of cards. So it's tough. To, it's tough to give up one of them that, that works for right. you. It's tough to, to yeah. There's That's that idea of like in, in pandemic, and I, I'm glad you made that parallel, the, the yeah. short term, long term, right? Mm. So like, okay, I want yeah. to, I have cubes in front of me, they're about to explode in disease, I got to take care of it, but I have a hand and if I don't in, and meet with my friend over here to trade the car, then I'm going to miss the opportunity, I'm not going to be able to cure the thing, which is the, yeah. the long term play. So then what Red Rising does is you play the card, or you can play the card for the immediate benefit. 
you get helium, you get, you know, flight, uh, increased in the flight track, but then you're giving up something and you may not get that back. Either the automa is going to take it and say, we're solo players. So like we love our automas. Uh, the automa might take it or someone else might take or something like you, uh, right. because chances are like the thing that you played, it also has a end game bonus that would have benefited you. So, you know, uh, is that a parallel to character decisions and they made it a novel? I think that's a, a your mileage may vary thing, but that's definitely kind of getting your story out there of what you were trying to accomplish with the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. All right, so that yeah. is Red Rising. We have a whole review of that stuff. That is the, actually uh, the Red Rising board game. We, again, we have a whole review that came out yesterday. Go ahead and check the We Won't Stop Co-op Shop feed and also Shelf Stories. Uh, but we are here to geek out about books. Uh, one of the big reasons why um, uh, Jamie made this game was to point people to this amazing thing that makes people happy. What do we do as human beings? We share happy things. And <laughs> uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to just give very like overview a pitch to people who are reading the books in a non-spoiler way. And then I'm going to do a, a hard thing. We're going to, you know, wave our arms and do the spoiler thing. And then we're going to get into spoilers of at least the first book. And then uh, because Liz and Jamie have obviously read further, they'll, they'll, they'll share stories about that as well. So in a non-spoiler way, I will invite my, uh, I'll invite Jamie first and, say, and then Liz uh, to t share just in a general way, why they should go out and seek these books. And you want me to go first? Sure, I can go uh, ahead. Uh, You're the one that made me yeah. read the book again. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, so, I, well, I, I guess the, the best I can say is why I love the books. And if any of this resonates with someone, then, then you can check them out. Um, I, I love the... The I love dystopian fiction in general. I, I like I, I don't want to say that I like the weird societal structures that emerge from dystopian fiction. Obviously, we know those are those are bad, but I like seeing how little changes to our state of the world, our society, could spin out of control into something that is that is very different that uh, that that we can escape to, but we're glad that it doesn't exist. And that's that's in Red Rising. I like that it's set in the future. I like the things that happen in the future. But it all comes down to me the, to these character decisions that the characters make in the book. It, it, and there are tough leadership leadership decisions that Darrow in particular and other characters make, where in other books I, I feel like sometimes things things happen to characters. They stumble into. You mentioned Harry Potter earlier. Harry Potter stumbles into a lot of stuff. Like right. he he becomes a leader eventually, but it's because he gets lucky. His friends help him out a lot. In Red Rising, Darrow makes just these excruciating leadership decisions. He becomes a leader pretty fast. Him as a, yeah. What's that? He becomes a leader pretty fast. He does. Like he, he does. Yeah. He enter, well, I mean, he struggles. Okay. So he struggles with yeah. leadership. Yes. That, he struggles with leadership. Yeah. 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 Um, but I can see, I guess, why people start to follow him and why other people don't follow him um, because of those choices. And that's the reason that really hooked me into the books. There's certain moments, especially in the first book, where I'm like, oh, as much as I'm interested in this world, the plot, things like that, it's these decisions that make me want to keep reading. So that is, uh, that is, you know, a brief snippet of Red Rising. Go ahead, Liz. Um, you know, I know, I know that because uh, I remember I read your Goodreads thing, like you had linked it out on Twitter, and you were kind of like, you know, mixed about about Red Rising generally. So maybe you can share a little bit about your experiences overall, non-spoiler. Yeah. So the first time I tried to read the trilogy, I made it about actually because I, I did it on e-reader. I could see I made it sixty-five percent of the way through book two, and then I just quit. And <laughs> so going back and seeing that, I was like, "Huh, let me try again." So I actually made it through the entire trilogy this time. I'm not ready to go on to the fourth book at this time, partially just because I always have like a to-be-read pile that's like you know huge. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I might go back at some point in the future after I give myself a breather. But I, there is a, there's a lot that I do appreciate about 
the books. I think a lot of what Jamie's talking about, about leadership decisions and, you know, Darrow, he falls hard, he rises high. Um, and you know, he repeats that pattern <laughs> and that's it's about a, as much of a spoiler as, a, I, as I want to give before. And but once like, again, it is a hierarchical society. That is the thing you yeah. are, you need to know. Like we see colors, but the colors are not like rainbow equal colors. Like it is stratified yeah. hierarchy reinforced by genetic engineering and, you know, propaganda and stuff like that. So it's like the, that's the setting. And so red rising is all about it there in the title. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So I think my issue actually is that I like most characters in the book better than I like Darrow. Mm. And I think that part of it is I think that I'm a high school teacher. And so like 16 year old <laughs> boys are already kind of like a thing in my life all the time. <laughs> but no, but Darrow is, is really interesting because, you know, you're inside of his head. And sometimes he's having these moments of maturity where he's like really thinking about his life and his decisions. And I'm like, okay, okay. And then it's like, I'm a hell diver of Lycos. I'm this, I'm that. And I'm like, oh, dude, like, stop. You're doing so well. <laughs> and I, I feel like his love interest in the book feels similarly. <laughs> But um, so, you know, I also, you know, YA is one of those genres where I like to read it. It's not usually my favorite, but I did think this was a totally decent YA series. Like I would recommend this to boys that I teach. I would recommend this to people who like YA sci-fi. Um, you know, I think that it has its ups and downs as a series, but I also read the whole thing entirely the way through the whole time and remember enough character names to know who people were when I played the game. And I think that that is a testament to the fact that I really was pretty attached to those books while I was reading them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think for me, what leapt out of me, and and it striking because you know I'll move between like you know like a, a, a hardcore sci-fi or hardcore fantasy, and then the occasional YA title that Liz like dribbles my way or somebody else. Uh, thank you very much, Liz, by the way, for that. Um, <laughs> and what's striking to me about a series like Red Rising is that the the morality for the most part is pretty clear. Right, mm -hmm. it, it hits you in the face. Like this is not a good society. Like the, like I think it's the very first chapter where it's like democracy sucks, and you know uh, we have to have hierarchy. You cannot let the the sheep, you know, uh, all this kind of thing. So it's like telling you the reader, and he, and it's a 2014 book, and you know here in modern context, we are a democratically inclined society. So it's like it's just hitting you over the head. It's like this sucks, and there's gonna be complexity like that complexifies later because you can't have a, a good book without. Like you can't have all cardboard villains. Like eventually it opens up of like, you know, justifying why the leaders feel like they have to do what they do. Yeah. It still sucks. <laughs> you still have a, it still has a, a, a rooting interest. So like I'm a big in world building. It's like, I, that's my first go-to whenever I uh, look at a book is the world building. And so the world building is very stark. It's very clear and it's interesting in a way. I, I love that moment of like revealing the hierarchy. I think I have to go with Liz there where it's like the, the, the actually the main character is like, okay. <laughs> and and you know, but that's something to explore. But at the end of the day, you know, we'll get into that in the, the spoiler section. Yeah. Non-spoiler, I can recommend it as a as a romp, you know, as a as a fun, make you think a little bit, but for the most part, I mean, you're gonna get a lot of Hunger Games vibes, you know, especially from the from the very first book. Yeah. You know, I'm not yeah. uh Hunger Games written before this one, right? Yes. Yeah. But I will also say that the um this, the follow-ups are very much departed from that. So mm -hmm. don't define the whole series by the second half of book one. Right, right. Yeah, it's just it's just a, a wall of it. It's like, whoa, okay. <laughs> this is <what> yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then he gets into, because it's an institute story. So it's like he goes into yeah. different levels of the institute and then he eventually graduates and kind of moves into the society. Again, moving through hierarchy and the different things that happen in the, the moments of the hierarchy is kind of what you're looking for when it comes to Red Rising. So those are non-spoiler thoughts. We all recommend the series. Jamie clearly recommends the series because he has a whole IP built around it. <laughs>
But now we're going to get into spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. Woo! Back away, go, go. be gone. <laughs> spoiler hands, spoiler hands. <laughs> Last time we were like flopping around, like. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Don't proceed. <laughs> Stop here. <laughs> so then, okay, so now we're in spoiler territory. Um, I'll ask you, Jamie. I'll ask you, Jamie, first. So, like, on a on a spoiler level, what are uh, what were some of the things that you were thinking of? Like, you know, in terms of reading the book, what were some of the specific things that you can get into that said, "Oh, I have to make a game out of this. This Ooh. is this is going to be awesome." Uh, the, I don't know if there was actually a specific mo- like there were definitely specific moments that stand out in the books that I that I that are the most memorable to me. But I I think really it was just reading about the societal structure. And being introduced to all these characters, these interesting characters that uh, that maybe that inspired me a little bit. The societal structure, structure was probably a big part of it because immediately I was like, "Oh, these are I could I could see these as meeples in a game. I could do something <laughs> with these and, and, and do, try to do something interesting with it." Mm-hmm. Um, that, I think that's where it started. Yeah. So, what oh, you mentioned character women? Like, what are some that really stick out for you? Well, the one that I I, I always go back to because I I think this was just such an interesting moment is in the first book. Um, I believe it's a moment between Tactus and, and Darrow where Darrow uh, uh, punishes, I, I believe it's Tactus for, for doing something really terrible. And he, he, he whips yeah. him in the back a number of times, he lashes him in the back. And then he turns his own back um, to Tactus uh, and, and says, I, you know, I, I was, I, you, it's not just you alone that were responsible for this. I let this happen. Um, you, you need to, to, I don't know if they use the term whip in the books, but you, essentially you need to whip me as well. And then when Tactus doesn't even have the strength to do it, he hands the, the whip to, I believe, Pax. Yeah, it's Pax. And ask Pax, Pax to do it. And I was like, that is, I don't know if that was the right decision, but it was just such an interesting decision and, and a potentially leadership de- defining decision to make in front of all these people. That was, that was what, that was like the moment I think that I think back on when I think about yeah. the books. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the things that was so, compelling about the series as a whole. I think the one of the aspects I really liked was that there was this idea that everybody should be given a chance at redemption and a chance to be better and do better instead of just crush. And I thought that that really was meaningful, actually, in terms of Tactus's continuing story, which ends in a kind of upsetting way. But, you know, we're full spoilers here. That. So if you, you can yeah. go ahead and mention. Stuff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, Tactus does some bad stuff and betrays Darrow. But Darrow tries to forgive him. And then somebody else takes that out of Darrow's hands and kills Tactus. So Tactus really maybe could have turned it around. But we'll never know because he didn't get a chance to. And then later, that person regrets their choice. And I think that that's actually one of the parts of the book that I thought was really interesting, especially because it's so often held in tension with, you know, Darrow can't talk to anybody about his inner feelings because of what those feelings are. And, you know, about being a red who's masquerading as a gold, living among golds, like he doesn't know yeah. who and he like trust. Also just a level of that was like when he had to murder um, uh, one of that, like another undercover Titus? red. Titus, was it Titus? Titus, yeah. yeah. So yeah. like, like yeah. His, his desire to keep that secret led him not just to kind of keep himself, but like to right. literally murder people who could eventually mm-hmm. connect those dots. Yeah, yeah it's, it's really, I thought that I liked the tension between, you know, giving people another chance and being unable to open up and give people a chance and you understand why, but also you can see, you know, it, it creates problems in his leadership because he can't be himself until much later in the series. 
And then once he really can be himself in his world and there are people who trust that, then his leadership decisions also improve and his relationships improve. Yeah. I think one of the things that really stuck out, because you, you mentioned a lot about characters, which was making me think, it's like, it's, it's not quite that they're looking for the right thing to do. They, it's that they, they care about what other people will think and feel, mm-hmm. right? So it's like, yeah. you know, um, so Daryl has to, again, this is going back to the Titus thing, which for whatever reason stuck with me and, you know, kind of passes off the decision to Cassius, you know, in terms of how to, you know, how to deal with this because Cassius thought at the time that, you know, he was murdered his brother and then he kind of realizes it is it. But like, you know, like, was that the right thing to do? It's like, that's not even, you can't even really talk in those terms. It's like, okay, Daryl felt he needed to do this and it had this effect. Other people thought this because of the way he decided things. So, and like, would people have thought differently had he made the other decision? I don't know. It's just about what people think. And like, when you talk about like establishing leadership, what, like that's what that's all about. Right. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, it's a, and I think if Red Rising does anything, it does a pretty good job um, of at every decision point. And like, again, I'm at the first book and people can, you know, uh, fill in like if there's different points where that happens of like, we're not exploring morality per se over here. We're exploring how people react to people. And, and like, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, if you do this, then you're going to alienate this person. If you know, you do it this way, then this person, they're going to hate you forever. And all that kind of thing. And like, the, and, the, and the, the good thing is that it kind of like, uh, the book does a good job of like bringing that stuff back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And both, I thought it was interesting too, that both of you mentioned that you aren't a big fan of Darrow and, Oh, I, the... I think he's a, <laughs> oh, what a, what a jerk. I, 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 I am stuck in his head. It's driving me nuts. <laughs> and he's very full of himself. And I think, I think when I was reading the first book, I was like, okay, Pierce wants Darrow to be the hero. But the more and more I read, I think Pierce, I don't know if Pierce really was going for that anymore, especially I, I won't go into stuff in book four and five, but that. I think he becomes less and less the hero, like almost an anti-hero, maybe even a villain at a certain point. Um, not not directly the way we think about villains, cut and dry, black and white. But it, I, I I think it's good that you don't that that you don't like him all that much. I I think that's maybe intended. I think like I almost think about him. Did you see Mad Men the uh, the show when it was on? Yeah. I almost think yeah. about him like like Don Draper, yeah. where he's not. Like, and, and it's an interesting parallel because in the show, and sorry if I'm spoiling Mad Men, it's like 20 years old at this point. Go ahead and watch it. <laughs> like, you know, like part of the thing of Don Draper is that he's hiding as another person. Like he's hiding a, a background. And so yeah. like Don Draper is fake and Don Draper is not that interesting. And it's almost like Don Draper is just like our entry into this world and other people. Like, you know, when Don walks into this person's room, now I get to hang on with this other person. And that's the cool thing. Mm-hmm. That's how I felt about Daryl, where it's like Daryl became this conveyance. So it's like, okay, I want to hang out with Cash. Where's Severo? I, I, I can't keep <laughs> me enough Severo. And like whenever he popped up and like they, you know, that like and I got excited when Daryl kind of formed like that allegiance or like Severo chose that allegiance. I think it was kind of more how that worked. And it's like, so I'm not interested in what Daryl's thinking. He, I feel he feels like more like a a, a newspaper, like he's reporting things, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. because because he's hiding things because the way the book is structured. But what what comes out is all these other characters felt more interesting, in a way, just, and it made me want to like, okay, give me more of that the, these people. I think I just struggled with being in Daryl's head, like every single cutscene where he's like, no one knew what to do, so they all looked to the greatest source of power in the room, and lo, it was me. You know, it's like, <laughs> oh god. Like, <laughs> 
you know, like the sort of cult-like aspects of his character that he either seems to engender or maybe Pierce Brown just wrote that in. Like, I can't tell how convincing I find that, especially in a world full of people who are scrabbling and trying to take other people down to get to the top. Like, there are parts of it that I didn't find probable. But I also wonder, like, what would this have felt like from Mustang's point of view? Like, I've always, I've often wondered what Harry Potter looks like from Hermione's point of view as well. I can't help that. But, uh, you know, some people say Mustang is like too perfect, but I actually really, I liked her quite a bit. Um, I don't know if I could have stood Severo's point of view for the first half of the series because he takes so long to grow up. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, it's it's just. I read a lot of this, Severo. Like, I believe me, <laughs> as like the little like you know the rental litter. Yeah, and, but you know, he's an interesting you know. life and an interesting background. Like, he's cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, who is your favorite character, Jamie? Is, is it Darrow? Or is it like just? Oh you know? no, it's, it's not Darrow. Um, okay. I'm, I'm always I'm, I'm always entertained <laughs> by Severo. Always entertained by him. But I think I liked Ragnar the best. Ragnar's Ragnar is cool. The the world building stuff that emerges from. Um, how how the golds managed to suppress the obsidians i thought was fascinating mm. and uh and, so i haven't and read that far so maybe Renner's. you can fill me in a little bit i don't want to do I, that's you like, fine i'm fine you go we're in total spoiler territory so i'm i'm, I'm cool <laughs> it, may, it may like think like for me actually i like knowing a little bit of what happened so i could kind of like get drawn into something and look forward to something it's fine Ragnar is basically just a, he's a he's a big obsidian character mm. that um that that befriends Darrow, Darrow befriends him, and he, uh, and so I don't know, he just, he, he just ends up being a really, really interesting character. He's highly intelligent, um, which, which is kind of like, the book plays off that for a while. They play off the idea of obsidians not just being these brutes, these assassins. And then you, the, you learn that that's not true. And, and you also learn, I think one of the big reveals is, like I, I was wondering through the first book and the first probably two books, how, like if the obsidians, had the physical prowess to to compete with golds and now you learn that they have the intelligence as well how have they not right. uh, r- risen up before and it turns out that the golds have positioned themselves almost like greek gods like they've really fully convinced the obsidians that they are godlike um and the obsidians believe that, that this is their mythology that they're brought up in and so they just don't challenge that they, that that they really th- and because the golds to them kind of are that that's how they've, mm-hmm. they they've with the technology that the golds have I don't know. It's just, and there's more to it than that, but that, that's yeah, I mean, I mean, a fascinating result. There's also the idea that like they are this, this, like the next level down. So it's like, right. you know, if you challenge us, it, maybe it said, maybe it's sunset, but if you challenge us, well, look at all these other people that are, you know, like you, you have it better than them. So it's like, do you really right. want to? And it, it goes back to the way that the, and this is a really cool, like kind of social, like I studied social philosophy in college. I was, I was really into this. So it's like, you know, we suck. We know we suck, but what are the alternatives? Yeah. Well, right. Yeah. And the and the gold really kind of put that out there of like you know if we you know um, if we if we don't rule and if we don't rule the way we rule then you know even the little bit that you have will be gone and you know right. being able to kind of instantiate yeah. that in the mythology and the propaganda even amongst like you know the higher classes as you were saying well, that was interesting I, I and and that's and again like understanding that Red Rising is about hierarchy understanding it isn't just like there there's real drawn out reasons what what sustains the hierarchy which i think is the uh, my favorite part of the world building yeah like it really yeah. explains that i also like ragnar a lot his nobility of spirit and like his self actualization are just really like there's um yeah. 
basically a really good scene between him and Darrow where Darrow really encourages him to be himself and to exercise agency. And he's like, you don't want to hear it. I can't do this. It's too dangerous. And then he finally realizes that Darrow is serious, but Darrow has to tell the truth about himself in order for that to happen. And I think that I just really liked that interplay where, you know, Ragnar couldn't ever truly trust a full gold because of the way society is set up. I thought that was good. Although, actually, you know who I wanted to hear more about? There's actually a couple. So I want to know more about Mickey DeCarver. Mickey was bad, and yet I did kind of like him. And so I wanted to get more insight into his... What did you mean Mickey was bad? Like, I didn't get that Mickey Like, what he did to Evie. He's basically engaged in human trafficking. Like, he Mm -hmm. makes monsters out of people painfully and then, like, sells them into, like, sexual slavery. I mean, he's not a good person. (laughs) (laughs) But at the same time, like, he is somebody that Darrow weirdly likes and who kind of survives by his charm. I would have been more interested in seeing more about Mickey. And I also was super interested in the Quicksilver Mateo relationship. So Quicksilver is a silver who is like a big power broker, has a lot of money, but not a gold. And he is married to a pink and they are basically considered like the sexual service class. And that is what they are forced to do in the society. And so it's an intercolor marriage. That is a love story. It's respectful. Um, Darrow has actually met the husband, uh, Mateo, earlier in book one. He shows up later. And I kind of want more insight into their lives. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it seems cool. Like, everybody's living these really cool lives around Darrow. <laughs> and if they're not cool because they're, you know, good, they're cool because they're interesting. And they're full of, like, all this human emotion. And sometimes it's like... It's like, uh, I don't know, it's like playing Pokemon Snap. Like the, the, the thing goes <laughs> too fast and you want to sit there and look at that Pokemon and you got to keep going. <laughs> what about you, David? What are some characters that you would like to have seen more of fleshed out? Like, or like, because we all do it, right? We, we like kind of go, go in our heads, like, okay, like invent little yeah. stories and stuff. So like, yeah. what are some of those characters for you? Uh, well, I, I would say Lee Sander. Uh, he's kind of the, the, maybe the, one of the youngest characters that we that we see a bit of in the books, but he's kind of just used as a pawn in the first three books. Um, yeah. But he he is a major character in books uh, four and five. I okay. believe four in particular and five a little bit. And so it, it's that would be my answer. But he, I, I like that uh, in the, in books four and five, uh, Pierce writes from different perspectives. So you're actually writing from Lee Sanders' perspective for a little bit. So you really get to see what's okay. in his head and see the world from his perspective. And he also adds an, another character. I can't remember her name in book four, but she's a young character. Can't even actually remember her color. I need to go back and read books four and five. But they they add these. He adds these different perspectives and how um, from different colors. And this is like ten years after the event, or maybe even longer, ten or so years after the events events of book three. Um, so some of the characters that I that I wish I could have known more about or the types of characters I would have known more about are are explored in the in books four and five, and the blues too. The blues to me are fascinating. How they they have these you know these circuits oh, yeah. integrated into their heads. They're incredibly intelligent and, and very good at doing one specific thing, and how they how once they start to be able to make choices on their own or allowed to or feel the 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 ability to kind of like what you said with Ragnar. He didn't feel he was able to have that agency. I like the way you said that. Mm-hmm. Um, blues I have a similar feeling. What about you, Jason? Do you have, do you have any that, that you'd like to learn more about? Oh, I mean, I think not necessarily characters, but there were some like unanswered questions. So like you mentioned Mickey the Carver that made me think of this immediately. So like they spend the first, the whole first part of the book, like carving up Darrow and like, you know, reforming him to this like new person. And then, you know, he just slides right in, like no scarring, no, <laughs> like it's, it's a, it's a perfect thing. And it's like, you know, I, I'm thinking, cause he, I, I get the vibe of like Frankenstein's monster when I think of Mickey, oh, uh, Jamie's disappearing. He's, he's got all oh, that. No, it's a cat. 
Gotta get the cat. So most important character in any scenario is the cat. Liz approves of your care of the cat. Walter's been sitting directly behind me just crying at me the last 10 minutes. Sorry about that. You were saying something very, I was listening. Fine. That was perfectly fine. I I mean, I mean, just like little things like, okay. I mean, he's called Mickey the Carver for crying out loud. We spend like a, like a fourth of the book, like with, you know, basically this torture of making this person new person. And then he goes into the Institute and basically the first thing to do is like throw him, you know, naked places. And it's like, he has no scars. Like this just like works, mm-hmm. you know? And I don't know. Like, I mean, I, cause I remember like one of my favorite shows was the wire and like, they would try to go on the cover, but like, it would be sometimes good, sometimes bad. Cause like they couldn't pull it off. So I, my, my, my attendance up to that. It's like, how could he just pull this off? You know, especially with a weird name like Daryl, like, cause they, they point that out. It's like, okay, you know, make it work. It's like, well, it, sometimes it's not that easy. Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I think, I, I mean, I love when, and you know, a lot of books do this. Like I love when people like, you know, people like Ragnar and I haven't gotten that far, but like, you know, just kind of like, you know, seeing ahead. I love when people just sit there and pontificate on the world. You know, and sit there and like elaborate their philosophies and all that kind of thing. It's like the you know, uh, getting to know a little bit more. And I I think the Sons of Aries, just in terms of like what they are, and like what like you know, I am a revolutionary group is interesting. But like kind of diving a little bit more into like you know what the you know why Aries and and some of the uh, some of the other stuff. And it's there, but it's like you know, so it could have been for me who's interested in that kind of thing would be interesting to hear about. So no, but it's good. I I mean, I could definitely recommend the book. And clearly. You know, that's where we all are. In terms of recommending the book, is it the best book that you've ever read? Is it the best YA book that you've ever read? Why your mileage may vary, but there's a lot there. If that if that's what you're interested in, I think that's kind of at the end of the day. Yeah. Also, you should keep reading if you want to know more about Aries because you find out who that is, and there mm-hmm. are actually kind of interesting inside faction like disagreements about how to deal with the gold problem. You know, are we trying to be terrorists? Are we trying? That would to, be like, cool. Like I, I haven't gotten that. Those, that those issues cool. come up. Like the world really widens after the first book. Um, actually, I think that I really did not like the first book, but I liked the second and third ones much better. And I think part of it is that you know, by the end of the first book, Jared's still just a kid, and he's like a typical teenage boy who thinks he's cock of the walk because he did great at the institute. And then now, like, but then by the very soon in the next book, you know, he's getting his butt kicked by people who actually know what they're doing. And I actually would like to see more of that. Like the one thing that so this Harry Potter has this problem as well. It's like everybody's stuck in their high school class forever forever like all the people you know in high school are the people who continue to matter when you're an adult and like I did not live that life (laughs) so (laughs) and so you know um it's like the best pilot in the whole universe is somebody that was at the institute with Darrow and it's like really you know and like you know the next potential world leader is somebody who's at the institute with Darrow and you're like really (laughs) how convenient And, and YA has to be like that right because it's about young people making their way in the world and mattering. And so in that sense, I really approve of it as an adult reading it. I'm like, eh. <laughs> yeah, every little, every little like teenager who wants to read, wants to think. Cause I remember like, you know, as a teenager graduating and going like, okay, what adventures are we going to go on now? And like having fiction that like, actually have a that job. So, I mean, is there anything else, Jamie, in terms of like what interested you about the book, what yeah, things that you kind of want to think about and share? You know, we talked about characters and different other things, but there's any, is there anything that we're missing or are we pretty co- co- covered everything that's interesting to you? Well, one other thing that you two did touch upon that I that I wanted to accentuate briefly is that I love how the books, Liz, you just said this, but um, it happens even through books four and five, how the world keeps getting bigger and bigger. And I love stories, books, novels that do that well when they, uh, when they, 
when like all the world building doesn't happen in the first chapter, how it just emerges throughout. And it really gets, gets bigger and bigger. There's stuff with Jupiter, a whole, there's a whole other like world in around the moons of Jupiter. That's, that's a pretty big deal. And it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. And I, I, I like fiction just in general that does that. So if either of you have any other dystopian fiction or any sort of fiction that, that does that world building over multiple books where you just keep getting bigger and bigger, you see that bigger perspective. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm open to recommendations too. I'd love to love to hear what you think. Poppy War. Which yeah, I finished the second book. I got to pick up the third book because we got to cover it on the show. Yeah. We, we did a, a book chat on the first book, uh, but when we have to go on to the second one, I, yeah. have you read The Poppy War? Yeah, yeah. I read the, I think the, the third book came out a few months ago. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah it's, it's, oh, yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah, it's a great series, but it deals with addiction. Like you don't see addiction right. too often in, uh, in YA. Uh, literature. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I want to make one more nerd point about um, yeah. about Red Rising. So I'm a Latin teacher. Obviously, I was very fascinated by all the Roman names and the use of mm. Latin. So it didn't. How did they match. mess it up, Liz? How did they mess it no, up? No, no, it's not that. It's that I think it's really interesting that Weeks continue to perceive Greco-Roman mythology and those names and Latin as the language and culture of elite people, right. even mm. in a world that's just been invented by someone. And I think that that is a really interesting indicator of the hold that Roman culture continues to have on the West. And I think mm -hmm. also, um, you know, it's it's really interesting the way that we continue to understand Latin and that aspect of, right. of ancient history and culture. We, we want to associate it with like the top brass mm -hmm. top gold and yeah. and like there's so much to to process with that just like throughout our culture and for yeah, me as a lot teacher an interesting parallel to that with the poppy war how confucianism is their version of that and like what are the highest mm -hmm. things that you can be in a confusion world which is graduated from a certain high a school yeah you know, this is your this is your thing so like you know how you know we, like every culture has that and it's it's, it's fascinating to how like it plays out differently but you know every culture seems to need a signifier of hierarchy yeah, at the end yeah. of the day, it's like, okay. And that's part of the gold's point. It's like, you know, there's a, there's a part of us that yearns for hierarchy and yearns for the yeah. seat of hierarchy. And the gold's are like, you want that? Here you go. Yeah. <laughs> <I> gotcha. <laughs> so, In that no, same it, category, I would put uh, the Jade series, Jade City and Jade War. Uh, very similar to what you just said, Jason, in many different ways, but it's a totally different uh, fantasy mm -hmm. style universe. Uh, Jade City is the first book. Jade War, I think the third book is coming out soon. Um, I, I think you've heard of that genre of that it's uh i guess somewhat urban fantasy like it takes place in a fairly modern world but uh there's there's magic in in uh inside uh, jade like what, what we see is jade stone uh and there's magic that comes out of it and you can either be trained in how to use that magic um or you can just try to use it and often get addicted to it or have it overwhelm you um and it has interesting uh, parallel to Red Rising. The characters have to make really tough decisions. It has a mafia undertone to it too. Mm -hmm. Different, different. Yeah. Yeah, I just looked it up. I've definitely seen this on Book Talk. Yeah. So I know. It's, yeah, the Green Bone Saga, Jade Green City Bone. by yeah. Fonda Lee. Yeah, I like crime syndicate stories as well. So that looks actually really interesting. That's going on the the potential list. Yeah. <laughs> So that was our discussion of Red Rising. That is our book chat. As you can see, we are huge book lovers. We want to explore the conflicts between books and games because both things are made richer by the interaction with one another. I really do believe that. So, um, Jamie, thank you so much for taking a little bit of time on a Saturday. Uh, despite your cat's wishes, which I think your cat is happy now. <laughs> he is happy now. 
<laughs> got his food, got his chair. I think he's I think he's much better than, than he was about 20 minutes ago. <laughs> well, thank you very much for hopping on the show. Yeah, it's great to talk to both of you. I'm, Liz, I'm excited about your YouTube channel. I, I, I subscribed while we were chatting here. Yeah. Oh, I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, you go. Look at yeah, it's good to meet you, too. This is the first time yeah. we met, so it was nice. Yeah, it's been great. <laughs> and Liz Davidson, you are not going to be – it has been too long. We should probably uh, schedule in more, although we do have a top list at some point coming pretty soon, right? Yeah, we got to do our top 50 games each top for the 50, Dice 50. Tower. Cool. We, yep, we signed in blood during the Kickstarter. Yep. <laughs> got to make that happen. Yes, uh, I'm just going to, like, you know – make a randomized list of 50 games we'll just see it no checking <laughs> <laughs> no thought at all <laughs> all right thank you very much for coming on the show all right take care if, you, beginning, change everybody. Mind, if you can change your mind you can change the world so until next time play everybody thanks for joining us again for the one-stop co-op shop podcast check out our youtube channel at one-stop co-op shop also, join us for games and discussion on our Discord channel. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash one stop, or leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week for another Top 5 list.